welcome to the Transforming Society podcast. Today we're talking to Mary Holmes from the University of Edinburgh and Orsa Wetterbren from Gothenburg University. Mary and Orsa are, along with Nathan Manning from the University of Adelaide, the editors of the new Emotions and Society journal published by Bristol University Press. The first issue of the journal was published in May this year. Associated with the European Sociological Association's research network on sociology of emotions, it aims to bring a theoretical and empirical understanding of emotions in social life, taking a uniquely sociological perspective while also engaging in interdisciplinary exchanges. So, hi Mary, hi Orsa. Hello, Jessica. Hello. Um, great to speak to you. Um, wondered if we could start by you telling us a bit about how the idea of the journal came about. What's a bit of the history of the journal? Um, sure. I, I also can correct me, but I think it was about 10 years ago at an ESA conference. And uh, really, we've had the idea for quite a long time. We kept discussing at the ESA Emotions Network meetings how there was no dedicated sociology of emotions journal, mm. so that we really wanted um, to have somewhere to publish all the wonderful um, research that we were hearing about at the conferences, but okay. um, didn't really have a, a home of their own. So uh, that, that was what I remember. Also, what, what about you? Yeah, I think I remember something similar, although it, I, it, we might have started even before, 10 years ago. I mean, I don't even yeah, remember. Yeah. It's been it's been with with us for such a long time. I remember Jochen and I sitting, well, that must have been 10, 10 years ago, um, and working on, on, on something that you and Nathan started. Mm. Uh, so that was like long after you had started it and we, and we sort of were working on that. So you must have done that before. To, I mean, yeah. it, it's been ages. I was still in Karlstad when we started and that's more than 10 years ago. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So it's been a long time coming. <laughs> it's been with us for a long time already. <laughs> yeah. And so it must be, it must feel great then to have seen that first issue come out in May. And it looks so beautiful as well, doesn't it? The print version. It's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were really pleased with it. It was a, it was a great moment for us. It was um, a reward for our perseverance. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It feels like something like, oh, we did this before we died. That's great. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it's like... Yeah, well, uh, also I want to add to what Mary was saying, that there are so many, there are like loads of psychology of emotions journals out there and they are so totally different and doesn't really fit with the sociological perspective. So I think this is a marvelous outlet for everything that has to do with the sociological perspective and social science and qualitative methods in association with studying emotions. So, so that's, yeah. So how is the sociology of emotions different from social psychology then? I would say, I mean, I just I just came from a conference on, on the psychology of emotions yesterday. That's why I'm up here in the northern Sweden. Okay. And um, I was invited. It's a program, a master program about the psychology of emotions. And I was invited as a talker because I had some sort of alternative perspective, they thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was the last speaker of five. And all four of the five... Well, no, three of the four speakers before me were all about quantitative methods and experimental uh, design, and they were all investigating more or less discrete 
emotions like um, anger, fear, disgust, whatever. Okay. And and they do that with statistical methods. I mean, their experimental designs feed, feeds into feeds data into quantitative instruments, and then they they're all extremely um, excited about the method and the measuring instruments, but they tend to discover the wheel over and over again, and they tend to also not contextualize emotions at all. I mean, they try to contextualize emotions, but their experiments really don't allow them to contextualize because it's all um, very unnatural situations. And and they seem to consider that they actually do investigate the brain rather than rather than anything else, I think, or the, how the emotion works in the brain eventually and comes out in various social action and so on. Okay. Um, but they can't really study the social activities in their, in their natural situation, so they can't really tell how much the social really interacts with them, the way the person experiences emotions and so on. So I think, I mean, uh, our perspective is hugely different in that way that we usually do this by qualitative methods, not necessarily, but even the quantitative methods are more geared towards looking at uh, social situations and the way people actually behave with their emotions and interacting with emotions and emotional exchange in social situations, not so much focused on the individual. So I suppose uh, that it's those social situations that kind of shape how we emotionally react to them as well. It's more of a circle, isn't it, rather than yeah. just yeah. us having emotions yeah. and putting them out there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and I think that, that that sociologists of emotions are interested in that social construction of, of how we feel, of how our feelings are shaped and, and produced by the, the, the way that society is organised, by the kinds of social rules and norms that yeah. we have around emotions. And we're interested in how people manage and make sense of their own and other people's feelings in relation to their, their social context and their social circumstances. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's a much more um, kind of holistic way of looking at, holistic and realistic, maybe, way of looking at things. Um, one of the topics the journal looks at is the history of emotions. So just following on a little bit from um, what we were saying. Um, how have our emotions changed over time? Um, when I was reading some articles in the journal, um, I think parenting and anxious anxious parenting may be an example, a real life example of this. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that Peter Stearns's article is um, in the in the first issue is a, yes. a great example of how a history of emotions is really important to to sociologists to come to understand how. Um, Emotions might be constructed differently now to how they were in the in the past, and as you say, anxious parenting is one example that that he uses to to try and understand that that we have a a very different way of of dealing with children. You know, you can hear that in sort of everyday conversations sometimes when people talk about oh you know when I was a kid we used to just run around yeah. feral outdoors all day and did what we liked and now children can't you know step two feet outside their own door without their parents getting worried about what's 
yeah. know, happen to them. And, and, and so you get that kind of common sense version. Mm. And I guess what sociologists try and do is understand, well, how much um, evidence is there that that is actually, uh, that anxiety is, is um, warranted and, and why might it have, have come about? What is it about the world we lives, live in that might make uh, parents more anxious? Is it, is it actually a, a different kind of world or is it just uh, a different expectations around what parenting involves and what childhood is and so on? Yeah, I think um, speaking as a parent, I think guilt as well must be an emotion that's felt a lot more nowadays than it used to be. Um, oh. I've been thinking a lot recently in these podcasts actually about ideas about the good mother and all things like that. So I think the journal is probably going to bring a lot to those kind of conversations as well. Absolutely. Um, I'm, also, I'm also thinking that um, when it comes to the history of emotions, that what they're really good at showing is also how how perceptions of emotions and language about emotion changes over time and, yeah. and how it seems to be at, at different times in history and in different societies, different types of emotions have been sort of uh, more more emphasized or more or actually they have existed emotions that we don't really use today at all. I mean, we don't really talk about, I don't know, um, melancholia or hysteria in the same way that we used to do or um, and and I think Stearns has also been investigating quite a lot the um, the role of anger since the 19th century which is quite interesting because anger seems to be extremely um, sort of um, I mean it's really people are really suspicious there's sort of cultural suspicion against anger because that's supposed to be violent and threatening yeah. in one way or the other, but actually violence is a very, oh sorry, um, anger is a very um, potent political emotions and and, and it, so it somehow fits our very depoliticized times to yeah. to yeah. say that anger should not be expressed, you know. Because um, anger is associated with violence, we're kind of not really even looking at how it plays out in other spheres or, yeah. Yeah, yeah and the actual positive social change effects of anger, which, of course, then would threaten the system as it is or the status quo of the system yeah, today. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. that's why anger is banned somehow. Or, yeah. Maybe we need a little bit more of it. Mm. Um, so this is clearly a diverse multidisciplinary field. Um, obviously, people talk about a lot about interdisciplinarity at the moment. And so what role does interdisciplinarity play? And does the sociology of emotions create a space for this kind of work? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the sociology of emotion um, developed out of a kind of boundary between social psychology and and sociology, and that boundary was a little bit more fluid in the United States, where Hochschild and some of the other pioneers of the sociology of emotion started thinking about it. Um, but uh, so we've we've always had, although we do differentiate ourselves from social psychology, where there is a also a connection there, and that can be quite productive to think about how um, how what the sociology of emotions offers is is different. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a really good example of that is a 
uh, a book, an American book that I like from a, a few years ago called The Loss of Sadness. Right. And it's about how our society has um, come to, uh, the authors argue, over-medicate um, depression. So they are totally... Um, of the opinion that depression, clinical depression, is a is an illness and something that needs to be treated, but they take through the way in which the the definition of depression has expanded to leave very little room for what they call normal sadness, and as sociologists, they're really interested in that. You know, why is there um, less and less space for people to be just sad. Mm -hmm. and why does our society not um, not allow people to, to do that? And what are the dangers of losing that space for, for normal sadness and that becoming something that's uh, pathologised and, and medicated? So, you know, that I think is a, is a really interesting way in which interdisciplinarity, they clearly, they're not um, rubbishing the, the psychiatric approaches to, um, to depression. They're trying to understand them and their importance and how they've changed, but they're also saying, hang on a minute, as sociologists, here's a, here's a, critical, um, a critical approach to to thinking about something like depression and thinking about its social context and why it might have, have come to be, um, it, the definition may have come to be expanded in the way that it has, and that's about an analysis of the, the social context again and the kind of world that we, that we live in. Um, mm, yeah. So yeah, I think that, that interdisciplinarity. But yeah, we use we use history a lot, and we also use um, we use anthropology. So we mm. use within the sociology of emotions. There's a lot of debates around um, to what extent emotions are universal, or to what extent there's uh, a large degree of, of of cultural difference. Could you give an example of that? Cultural differences in emotion. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's a questions about, for example, anger and whether anger is expressed and dealt with in the same way in different cultures, or or whether um, some cultures have uh, an, uh, emotions that there isn't really a, don't translate very easily. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, I'm thinking about anger. Um, there are some cultures where it is really not acceptable to to express anger, and that is um, something that uh, has to be repressed culturally in order to operate as an acceptable human being. In other mm -hmm. cultures, it might be it might be uh, expected that you show anger and and can be angry. And then that also goes back to what we were saying about anger before, about even within a culture, kind of people express it in different ways, and um, actually it's not necessarily about positive and negative either. I think it's also the um, the way it changes over time is hugely important. So it's like different over time. It's also different if you you know 
in the present time compare different cultures. But I, I also think that you could probably, I mean, we, we talk about feeling rules and expression rules uh, pertinent to specific situations or groups or collectives. And mm -hmm. I think we can definitely speak about emotional regimes of some kind that are dominant in, in particular societies or I mean, it's very hard to, to, of course, obviously to connect this to nations, but I do think that mm. as well as nations shape personalities and views on, upon the world through their media and, and so on and so on, schools, socialization of their citizens and so on, they also shape their emotional um, sort of character or emotional styles rather um, in terms of how people express them. What, what is culturally accepted uh, in terms of how to express emotions and and that goes for all types of emotions. I mean in Sweden, Sweden is reputed for its very sort of subtle emotional yeah. uh, expressions and it's really hard for people ex except for Japanese people who are virtually the same I think to, yeah. to understand uh, in the beginning what a Swede, an average Swede feels especially when it comes to anger because anger is very sort of held back and very very subtly expressed yeah yeah and in fact there's a good another good example around sweden coming up in um uh the next issue of the journal which is about empathy and mm. about on online far-right discourse and yeah, um, in sweden and this talks about the way in which um the far right uh kind of present the Swedish as, um, you know, empathetic people and, and present migrants as uh, deliberately manipulating that empathy mm -hmm. that Swedes feel supposedly for, mm -hmm. for, for others. So that, that there's a quite, that's a good example of, of picking up on a, 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 a cultural um, expression of emotion as yeah. uh, like Swedish empathy and, and, and trying to understand well, what does that mean and how might it be made into a political kind of tool by the far right in this case. Yeah, and I think speaking about the far right that also brings us to anger. I mean somehow what we see now when we see lots of so-called so anger uh, management and anger entrepreneurs, if you wish, yes. in the far-right uh, political yeah. sides uh, all over Europe and the world. And I suppose you could see that as the kind of um, return of the repressed in terms of political anger, because uh, there has been such consensus around the um, uh, type of uh, deliberative, liberal sort of deliberative democracy and its consensus-oriented ways of of, of approaching uh, crucial sort of ways of building society, which is economy and and uh, you know its institutions and um, yeah, so I mean it's it's really quite interesting this anger thing. I wanted to ask you about um, politics. Um, Ali Ostrald mm. uh, focuses on politics in her introductory essay to the first issue. Yeah. I think power is quite an interesting thing to explore because it underpins so many of us, so, so much of our social relations. Um, what can the sociology of emotions tell us about power relationships? Uh, because I was just thinking about an, uh, in connection to what I was just talking to and it was connected to your question now is 
uh, Deborah Gold's paper in the first issue, where she where she actually shows how how um, the sort of um, deliberative democratic democratic consensus pushes down on, on any kind of political challenge by ridiculizing it into in various ways. You know, showing yeah. that you know yeah. it's, it's actually just uh, childish and um, sort of unrealistic and uh, you know wild fantasies to even imagine a different system and and this is done in very sort of in every kind of debate or interaction between sort of established politicians and young in this case leftist politicians and and also how people are sort of the wall street protests and all those um similar types of recent protests how they are uh, being met by like, yeah, can you present an alternative? Can you actually show us what the different society would be like? No, you can't. So that's not realistic. You know, just get back to school again or whatever. And and that is somehow the, the very sort of um, repressive. I mean, I think power in in history probably also always presented itself as very rational, whereas the yeah. whereas the um, the sort of challenges to power uh, were always presented as potentially dangerous because they presented dangerous emotions, collective sort of uh, collective hysterias or collective um, yeah, that's still the case, isn't it? Um, yeah, 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 that's definitely the case. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I was going to say as well, that yeah. the powerful label the powerless as over-emotional as a way of mm. undermining resistance to, to yeah. power, and that's that's the cl classic form of that. But also, I think that it 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 goes deeper in in reproducing inequalities because it's a it's about a, a kind of a lack of recognition of oppressed groups um, yeah. that kind of contributes to the continuation of inequalities. You're sort of failing to recognise people as, you know, fully rational human beings, and mm. um, by by saying, oh, well, they're not, they're not really, you know, that's why women weren't allowed to vote. They were supposedly too emotional and not not reasonable enough. Mm -hmm. um, and again, uh, often minority groups and indigenous peoples have been labelled as, um, you know, not. Uh, capable of the rational thought supposedly needed to make decisions and have a share in, in power or even to be considered as proper human human beings yeah. and that's mm. been a way to maintain inequalities. Mm. Exactly. Now if I should just say, add something to the in, interdisciplinary thing, I think that we also do in fact draw from to some extent, at least from from um, research done in neuropsychiatry, even if we're not exactly working with neuropsychiatry or the brain or anything, it's quite fascinating starting point for the sociology of emotions. Yeah. What what Damasio and people like him, Antonio Damasio, have have sort of been able to show how the brain actually cannot, you know, separate cognition and emotion, but it actually works together. So it's not so much more complicated than our cultural cultural view on emotion. Uh, that they would be separate from from cognition or rash, rational action. Um, so I think that is quite interesting as well. And and of course, um, uh, apart from history, there's also um, managerial studies, critical management studies, and uh, you know, organization organization studies or sociology of organization are also usually interested in emotions and. Care work, care studies, or 
social work studies and so on. It's, I mean, it all we're quite interdisciplinary in that sense. And um, but I think what our focus is really is on on um, well, diff not experimental methods and not uh, not uh, the brain and individuals, but rather the interaction around emotion. Correct. So that's like how we welcome articles to the journal uh, from that perspective. Mm. I think uh, reading that collective identity, there was a really interesting article, um, I'm not sure it was in the first issue on Fast Track at the moment, um, by Barnwell on family mm. secrets. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about that, that kind of collective identity and families? Well, I guess I think one of the things about emotions that we're interested in in sociologists is not just emotions as experienced by individuals, but um, as something that is uh, produced in interaction with other people. Mm. And so that they, they can have a collective aspect to them and um, they can be... Uh, they're not necessarily the property of individuals, if that makes any sense. And I think yeah. the idea of family secrets and the way in which people try to make sense of their own and other people's emotions um, is, is something that's kind of done in interaction with others. And in the interaction with others might include people who are no longer living. So there might be a, an attempt to try and um, have respect for uh, the past shame or, or guilt of, of family members, for example, with the, with the family secrets. So although, you know, now we might not think it's terribly <laughs> shameful or even unusual to have children outside of marriage, yeah. uh, that would have been something that past uh, ancestors would have felt shame and guilt about. And so what do you do with those with those stories um, if they crop up when you're you're finding out about um, family history and and how do you how do you sort of care for for that how should you feel about how they felt if you see what I mean yeah. so it's not just about um, you know what's going on in your own brain it's, and and how you manage that might depend on your connection and links to the family who are still still living and what they think about how it should be dealt with and so on. So it's not just all about individual um, sensations. I thought that was a great example of how sociology of emotions does allow us to kind of relate and connect and understand. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, so what other, I think we've talked a bit about social inequality, history of emotions, lots of other things. What other specific areas of social emotion will the journal address? Well, we're, we're interested in, in um, sometimes putting a focus on particular emotions. So I, I mentioned empathy. There's um, a couple of articles coming out on empathy, the one about on uh, far-right online discourse, but also about empathy, I think, in relation to microfinance, if I'm correct. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there's also, um, yeah, we will be we're looking towards uh, having an interview with 
uh, Eva Alouz as well. So of course her work deals with the uh, with love as a as an emotion. So there, there we do look sometimes at at specific emotions, but also uh, the relationship between different kinds of politics and emotions is is a is a major theme as we've uh, suggested. Um, intimate relationships, and again the Barnwell. Uh, the Barnwell work was one example of that, but we're interested in, in having, having more about that, more about how our emotions might change in a digital society. I think that's, that's very important. Mm, yeah. um, and I was thinking uh, when I was looking at some, there's a, another article we have kind of in, in our um, in our pile at the moment um, that is, is about artificial intelligence and robots okay. and the future of work. And so, you know, how does technology and some of the technological changes, both in terms of the digital and in terms of things like work and, and, and the, the rise of um, robotics and so on, how are those going to alter the way in which um, emotional labour operates within society and, and its importance and um, That's fascinating. Will that, yeah. 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 I'm also thinking that, you know, things that we really would like to or encourage to express that that um, or take into the journal is it would be also various cultural perspectives as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And, yeah. and from uh, scholars who are active in in different parts of the world, um, ex except uh, the Western world where we get most of our contributions from. So that would be really interesting in in terms of um, you know having different perspectives because I think the Western perspective is quite dominant in in the sociology of emotions, and it would be really interesting to to find out other ones. Um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, mentioning Elise before, I think it's important to mention also that her work is broadly, I mean, she's been doing a lot about love, but she, her, her work is also broadly critique of emotions in capitalist society and trying to dissect what emotions mean and how, how societies are emotional in capitalism and how, how emotions become commodities, yeah. uh, which is quite interesting. And, and other work in connection to that that would be really interesting to explore is uh, how people sort of shift their emotional um, regimes or emotional styles uh, in order to adapt to different society in transition from, I mean, under the rain or the under the actual circumstances that we're living today, which is that climate uh, climate change and and the end of resources globally is going to force us to shift. Uh, quite dramatically into different kind of a non-growth society yeah. Uh, yeah and how you know what types of we are we are so much uh, brought up to sort of um, uh, satisfy our desires through consumption and to also uh, confirm and um, shape our relationships to other people through consumption and consumer products and so 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 you know how how can you conceive of a society which is not working that way and uh, that does not allow us to work that way and we have to sort of yeah change i mean there is also in the in the environmental movement now it's there's a um, whole story emerging or narrative about post-apocalyptic societies and 
and how that what that will mean um, both in terms of identity. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's quite interesting. I think, um, and what that will mean also in terms of shifting shifting emotional orientations and 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 you know relationships. So that's that's really interesting. I think. It sounds like there's huge potential for the sociology of emotions to kind of allow us to rethink the way we look at the world and transform society potentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it would be. I was. I think that whole new political economy of emotions is something that we we are wanting to to think about in, in future issues and as as also suggests. But um, that it would be interesting to get other sociologists from other areas uh, like actor network theory and um, so on who think about the the way in which um, non-human actors are, are, are part of our our social world whether they be um, you know that be human animal relations or relations between uh, technological objects and and humans, and I think mm. that as we enter into these uh, these new um, worlds, whether we do are heading towards a, a post-capitalist world, or at least into some different kind of social formation, mm. as mm. also suggests, then then what? Um, how might we? How might we understand that from a range of different perspectives, using mm. some of the tools we already have in the in, mm. within sociology more widely. So we're, we're, we're very open to sociologists who might not normally write about emotions, thinking about how emotions might be um, a, a part of um, their, their framework for understanding the world and, and being explicit about that, because often emotions are sort of implicit in some of these mm -hmm. frameworks, but haven't been explicitly uh, discussed or, yeah. or, or talked through. Uh, thank you, Mary. Thank you, Orsa. Um, there's plenty more information about Emotions and Society Journal on the Bristol University Press website. That's bristoluniversitypress.co.uk.